Hello. Hi, Sam. How's it going? I'm good. How are I'm you? Glad to hear that. Yo, rad, but feeling like an absolute moron these days. I, Why? Honestly, I feel like I've just woken up from a 10 year coma this week, mm-hmm. being back from holiday. It took me a full minute to work out where the reverse was in my car on Monday morning. I was like, how do I do this? How do I be a grown up again? Ah. It's all, it's all so hard, Sam. It's all so difficult. Yeah, man. I just feel like such a dumbass this week. Anyway. But it's mm-hmm. all grand. It's all wonderful. Well, uh, let me put your mind uh, at ease. You're not a dumbass or a moron. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, um, I, but you're going to have to get that reverse thing going on. It's pretty important. Yeah, it's. I, I, I realized this when I nearly drove into a brick wall. Um, mm. Yeah, and just basic things. I'm just like, wow, man, my life is really complicated. How did I let it get so complicated and have to do all these things? Ah. Yeah, anyway. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to say to that, Sam. <laughs> Um, that's just, you know, sucks to be alive. Yeah, man. I guess. Brew. Brew. Oh, man. It's going to go cut myself. Oh. <laughs> oh, man. It's not so bad, Sam. No, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying I feel like I'm not ready for the year. I need you know, another two weeks of the beach and your beagles and mountains mm-hmm. and things. You can have that stuff anytime you want it. You know that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But um, but yeah, you know the 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 putting things in reverse and uh, and the waking up. There's some good stuff that happens in between that. So um, it's a true stick story. Around. It's a true story. <laughs> so tell me about your week. Um, hmm, it feels like it's been really short, but it's been a whole entire week, and I think it's because I've been um, I've been back in my routine. Um, I've been going to work and sitting at a desk and doing stuff, and then coming home. And uh, wild. Yeah, but I think it's it's also that week of the year where some people are back and some people aren't. So things yeah. aren't quite as busy and dynamic as they usually are, mm. um, which is usually makes it a good week to sit and do admin or True prepare story. things or work on a single single project. So I've been doing that kind of stuff. Uh, so oh, it's just compressed the week for me. Yeah, those are all pretty pretty awesome things to do. Yeah, uh, I am struggling to wake up. Why? Hmm. <laughs> Because it's a Friday. I don't know. So you've been spending a lot of time this week answering questions to that Medium piece you wrote, right? Oh, yes. I wrote uh, I wrote a post on Medium about uh, the Bitcoin. And, uh, and yeah, yeah. I mean, And it seems to have been the week that interesting things have been happening with Bitcoin. So probably good timing. I think every week something interesting happens with Bitcoin. <laughs> like some moron loses money or the, yeah. you know. Or the price skyrockets. Or, or all the uh, libertarians in the world run outside and dance <laughs> around. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it, has been, it has been an interesting week uh, on the Bitcoin front. It's true. I saw that thing this morning about um, how that guy, which, how do you, I don't know how you pronounce it, it's like Hashio, Hashio, uh, um, got to like 45% of, of a monopoly on all Bitcoin mining and everyone was getting a little bit anxious about it because um, they were like, what? How can anyone control a monopoly? on mining because that's so Ah. different to the real world i thought you were talking about satoshi but no you're talking about the guy who has so many bitcoins well that's gonna happen right like uh and uh and and those people with a lot of bitcoin have a lot of power because they can sway the market you know they've they've Mm. got enough of the currency that they can buy and sell um and and in a way control the price and that i think that was always going to happen because that's what happens with real money right yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Although, yeah, I suppose you could argue there's some. There are enough people with with enough of the U.S. dollars that are in existence to con- completely control the market. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Absolutely. All of this stuff makes my head spin, I'll be honest. In fact, I was very excited yesterday when I found an article also on Medium called Explain Bitcoin to Me Like I'm Five. And it was great. I was like, okay, yes, someone speaking on my level about Bitcoin. Mm, the dangerous thing, yeah, well, firstly, money is, is, does everybody's heads in, right? It's Dude, like, it's so confusing. It's probably the most confusing thing in the universe. And yet it's so simple. It's yeah. brain deadly simple money, and it's still one of the most confusing things human beings do, next to um, you know wanting to touch other human beings. And um, <laughs> uh, yeah, we do a lot of confusing things, but money confuses us pretty pretty badly. Yeah. Um, and so I think a, a problem with a lot of the people who are explaining Bitcoin is that they uh, are confabulating of it too, and then it just gets worse. Yeah, totally. I mean, on a basic level. All right. So, so they explain a Bitcoin to me like I'm five, that article. They, it starts with the kind of the very basic. Imagine I have an apple and I give you my apple and then we've made an exchange. Now imagine I have virtual apples. You know, it's like really yeah. basic. Um, and all of that stuff is still something that you can get your head around and you can get your head around the kind of, uh, I don't know, distributed, uh, whatever of all the logs of who's got what. I can, I can kind of get my head around all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. I can't get my head around the, the question of how stuff increases in value. I know that that's, that's a really silly thing, but like, I don't understand how some currencies end up being more valuable in relation to other currencies. I feel like I need to go on an Economics 101 course, but well, this stuff does my head in. I'm afraid you'll be disappointed because the answer is that it's just all based on perception. Yeah. Um, you know, money used to be based on the gold standard. Mm. Um, we used to have gold ingots for, you know, mm. four of our banknotes to back it up. Totally. Um, and but, that makes you know, sense because then it's like, yeah, you own, you essentially own a tiny sliver of gold. This is your share certificate, essentially. Yeah, well, it turned out not bar. to make sense. And how does gold get its value, right? Yeah. Same thing, perception. <laughs> it's everybody's willingness to agree on something. Yeah. And, and with traditional money or, or what we refer to as fiat money, it's government's ability to regulate it as well. So, mm. um, you know, we call fiat money fiat money because uh, fiat means let it be done. That's, that's one of the interpretations. But mm. it's like a commandment. It's like the government says this is our money. Mm. Uh, and if everybody agrees, because we live in a democracy now, then that is your money. And because everybody agrees, uh, everybody uses it and you can pay your tax with it. And that's very mm. important. And then it starts to, to develop a value based on what everybody else thinks it's worth in the world. Um, and so look at the Zimbabwean dollar, for example, mm. the world decided the Zimbabwean dollar was worth shit. So the Zimbabwean dollar doesn't exist anymore. If you go to Zimbabwe now, mm. the only way you can spend money is with US dollars or South African rand or another currency that, uh, that people in Zimbabwe will agree to accept from you. Mm. But it's that, it's that willingness to accept a currency, um, and, and that's where it gets its value. For. It's like anything else, Sam. It's just a big perception. It's yeah. just a big game we play with each other. I know, but it, it's a game that also kind of, you know, drives people bankrupt and lets them lets things happen like thousands of people lose their entire life savings, you know, without understanding what's going on. So, yeah. I mean, that's where it gets weird. And like, you know, I can I feel like somewhere at some point, if you dig deep enough, there's got to be a thing that's that's actually creating the value that's being moved around, right? Like whether it's you're trading futures on grain, there's mm -hmm. still grain somewhere. And grain is actually useful to people. And that's why at some point someone will actually buy this thing that you can eat, right? But yeah. then how does value increase in the system overall? I don't know. It's all just like, ah. It's actually remarkably simple. Or maybe I just think it's simple because I don't get it. Mm. Um, 
But I was reading an interesting uh, article that our friend Stafford posted the other day uh, about a guy by the name of Mark Boyle, mm-hmm. uh, who's been living without money for a few years. So as without, an experiment. Without physical money or without mm-hmm. currency? No money. Um, wow. So okay. growing his own food, um, agreeing with people to ch- exchange for things. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, gifts are a big part of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like I'm not going to do story justice. Uh there's a we'll we'll put a link in our our notes on the internet. So for anybody who found this conversation on the internet, who I'm guessing might care what we're talking about right now, <laughs> um, you can go to our website at seed.tv. Uh, this is the 25th conversation Sam and I have had, so that'll be uh, seed.tv forward slash tbtd forward slash 25. That's awesome. And you that's the numbers 25, by the way, kids. And you <laughs> will find uh, the interview with the moneyless man. That sounds sounds uh, like a great thing to read. It kind of reminds me of um, you know the the land tax at the turn of the century, which essentially is the thing that decimated uh, sort of indigenous communities in South Africa. You know where all these people were living very contentedly on the land, and um, all the farmers, you know, who were sort of immigrants to the country, said, "Hey, we need people to come work on our farms," and they were like, "Ha ha, no! Why would we do that? We're fine." Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, "Cool, we're going to tax you, and now you have to pay us money." And they were like, "But we don't have." any money and they're like yes come uh, work on our farms inspiring <laughs> peasants it's so difficult <sighs> man you know yeah. I, <laughs> I was uh, i was in the seychelles a few years ago and um and the people in the seychelles they subside like mofos man they're like they've got <laughs> subsistence living down because yeah, man. some of those islands you know there are a lot of islands in the seychelles uh one of them uh is is called la dig it's tiny when we were there there were two cars on the entire island it's really small okay everybody uses bicycles to go around if i had Um, to move there i wouldn't have to know how reverse works (laughs) their only claim to fame is um that uh the house that emmanuel was shot in in the 70s is on that island so their only claim to fame is that a a pornographic movie was shot on the island well so um and uh, and and they just subside, man. They eat coconuts, catch fish, uh, eat mangoes, and I'm 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 really not poking fun at them. I I'm envious of, them. and that's literally their lifestyle. Either I'm not Dude. oversimplifying. They like that's what they do, you know. And there's some small yeah. trade things like there's a little coconut um, uh, farm where they make soaps and oils and shampoos mm. and things, and the local kids help them out um, gathering coconuts and doing whatever you do to coconuts to turn them into oil. Mm. Um, you know, and they obviously get paid for that. But it's very difficult to motivate these people um, to participate in a broader economy because yeah. they're just like, why? Yeah, exactly. Um, government housing in the Seychelles is done really well. Mm. So um, the government puts up these little shacks just next to the beach. It's like really <laughs> quaint. They're really beautiful little wooden French cottage-style shacks. Very <laughs> small. Yeah. Um, and you basically get the shack for the equivalent of uh, back then it was $50 a month. So wow. call it you know 600 rand a month or whatever now. Um, and after, I can't remember what the period was, call it 10 or 15 years, you own it. Uh-huh. Um, and the government subsidizes it because obviously the $50 a month isn't enough to actually pay for this place. Um, yeah. So, you know, the Seychellois who have any form of income usually live in these houses. Um, the rest of them just basically park off wherever they find space. Uh, it's not like anybody's going to freeze to death. They have two seasons, summer and rainy. Um, and when it's rainy, it's actually just more of a relief than anything else to have these buckets of water poured on you from the sky. Um, I'm very envious of their lifestyle. Um, that does sound but, fairly glorious, yeah. 
But you can you can imagine the great colonial forces arriving at places like the Seychelles and mm. going, well, we need these people to do something and participate um, <laughs> because what are we going to take back to the empire? Yeah, you know, exactly. Kind of got enough coconuts now. Yeah. Um, or something. Yeah. Uh, and it's amazing when you take away all of the things that we think are important uh, in our um, – and I'm putting this in heavily inverted commas. If you could see me right now, those inverted commas are flying around my head, man. Oh, okay. Western society. Um <laughs> The trimmings. <laughs> uh, and some of those trimmings are cool. I quite like my laptop. It's useful. Uh, yeah. Video games are rad. But when you take all of those things away, mm. uh, or when you never had them in the first place, yeah. uh, they get less and less appealing by the day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so it reminds me of uh, those, re- the, those research studies people have done into people who live in exceptionally long lives. So, I mean, there are those, those villages around the world where regularly, you know, the, the kind of median age of death is, is kind of over 100, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of those villages are like that. They're kind of these very small communities where people subsistence farm and they kind of, you know, trade some of the the grapes that they've grown with grapes other people have grown. Well, probably not with grapes because what would you do with more grapes? You know, they do some basic trading. And then they kind of, you know, they spend all day visiting each other and cooking these long meals that are filled with grain and fish and healthy things. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and they all live to over 100 and are generally very happy people. All of them? Well, not all of them, but, you know, uh, on average, people in those villages much, live much, much longer lives than people mm. elsewhere. Of course, the devil's advocate is going, well, we're probably oversimplifying and overglorifying. Like, sure. Western I'd put, medicine I'd put is put you in great. there for a week, girlfriend, <laughs> and you would be running back to your toaster and uh, your, oh, it's so true. It's your so couch true. and television. Yeah, it's so true. Uh, screaming with arms flailing. Yeah. Or something. Uh, yeah. So money's money's difficult to think about, and it's a distraction. And uh, and I've learned in my life that the worst thing that can happen to you is you can get a lot of money for something you don't want to do, mm. um, because it makes doing it again uh, a high likelihood. Yeah, and you end up spending so much money trying to recapture the things that you would have been much easier if you had more time. You know, I think mm-hmm. that that's a weird thing. Like, um, so th- I think something that we don't think about when we. Th- when we take these very expensive, high-paying jobs, not like I've ever had a very high-paying job, but whatever, um, is what the, t- the kind of taxes, the lifestyle tax almost. So, mm-hmm. you know, cool, you're not going to have time to cook anymore, so you will have to eat out every night and you will have to, you know, pay someone else to take care of your children and you end up actually spending so much money to make up for the fact that you don't have time to be there because you're busy making money yeah. and it's all very weird. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you... Uh, you- you know, it, you build narratives around these things that make them seem like they're important now. Mm-hmm. Um, you add things to your life and then you make up stories about why you added them uh, to your life. Yeah. And then, so I, I'm busy reading this book by uh, David McCraney. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, a pop up just popped up over his name on my uh, web browser. <laughs> so I, um, but the book's called You Are Now Less Dumb. Um, and it's another one of those behavioral science uh, books, you know, like mm. we've, we've read a lot of this stuff a million times before. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of it bears repeating and some of it was kind of new to me. Um, but also he talks about how our brain is a machine for narratives. And he talks mm. about how some crazy people get crazy. And it's because when your brain is presented with a reality, it has to build a narrative about it. That's how we stay sane because yeah. – 
all we are are this brain with these sense organs and this chaos of light and sensation is entering our bodies. And the mm. only way we can deal with it is to build stories about it, to make up a narrative. Why am I here? Why is this thing here? What is my relationship to this thing? Mm. Um, so he has these very interesting experiments. Uh, in the one, uh, he talks about a book written in the 60s, I think, called The Three Christs. Yeah. Um, about the psychologist who's got these three people in separate mental institutes who all believe that they are the Messiah on his second round. Oh, wow. Um, and he has this hypothesis that if he puts them all in the same room, um, that they will eventually out each other. It's like, well, only huh. one of you can be right. Because, um, <laughs> you know, this Bible you subscribe to says that there is only one God. So mm. one of you is right. Uh, and you're going to realize that in having a conversation with each other. And they don't. They just build the narrative more to yeah. accommodate for the fact that there are now these two other imposters in the room and they come up <laughs> with these crazy stories about why those men are trying to do what they're doing. Totally. Like that's what we do. So Yeah. And not uh, just crazy people. Not just crazy people do that. All of us do that all yeah. the time with really crazy things. Like justifying to ourselves why eating the extra slice of chocolate cake is actually the thing that's going to make us feel better, you know? Yeah. Or why we deserve that chocolate cake because yeah. uh, we walked up some stairs this morning or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, totally. And before you know it, uh, your spouse is pushing you around in a wheelbarrow and uh, and, <laughs> you're you're having, and you're having gastric bypass surgery yeah, you know like yeah. <laughs> totally happens in good tea houses the world over sam yeah, every yeah. day well yeah. um but uh but but so like i think when something really significant in the narrative like money enters the fray mm. then you can justify anything yeah and that's why part of me is skeptical of the whole like do what makes you happy uh phenomenon that mm. my generation subscribes to is I think that a lot of people think that what they do uh, makes them happy because it also happens to make them rich. Mm. And if it didn't make them so rich, maybe it wouldn't make them so happy. Sure. I mean, there's also the corollary of that, which is, you know, the predictably irrational argument, which is the more you pay people, the more that they hate what they're doing. You know, in fact, if you underpay people, they have to tell a story to themselves about how they're doing it out of love, clearly, because... Mm. <laughs> ah, I'm not <laughs> familiar rational... with this corollary. Oh, no, totally. So uh, it's, it's, you know, the experiment that he does, I, I don't know whether it applies on a larger scale to jobs and things, but the experiment that he does is he brings around volunteers and he asks them to do this incredibly mundane task. I think it's like pushing a button every 10 minutes or something. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there's a group of people that he pays like $100 an hour in order to do this task and a group of people that he pays like $1 an hour. And then afterwards, he kind of uh, asks them, you know, how enjoyable they found the task. And the guys that he paid less to uh, reported that they enjoyed the task more um, and you know his theory about that this makes was that, no sense I know but his theory about this was um, you know it's because they had to justify why they were doing it to themselves so they told themselves well clearly I'm doing this because it's fun um, you know that must be why because I'm not getting paid and he talks so, about how money can actually undervalue or devalue experiences so who's he Dan Ariely yeah predictably irrational Yep, How did I'm I sure miss it's in part of the book. It, okay. it could have been one of the other ones. It could have been. Well, Dan I shall Pink. read it again. It's Sam. one of those. It's they're all in there. I'll have to go look. Um, yeah, absolutely. It reminds me. So there's this quote that's attributed to Nassim Taleb all over the place, but apparently he stole it from somebody else. And I'm not sure who. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a good quote nonetheless. It says the three most harmful addictions are heroin, carbohydrates, and a monthly salary. <laughs> <laughs> Damn straight. Yeah. Damn straight, Nassim. He's an asshole on Twitter. I don't know if you follow him. <laughs> I unfollow him. No, but you told me so. Yeah. Um, I Nasim's got a chip, man, the size of 
probably some Middle Eastern country, if I had to guess, on yeah, his shoulder. I, I had to stop and reading Black Swan because it was interesting, but there was just so much snark in there. I couldn't deal yeah. with it. Yeah. Just because you're right, Nassim, doesn't mean you have to be an a-hole about it. <laughs> he should have had a better editor. You, you know what? I, he out. strikes me as one of those people who's probably a lovely man. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, you put him online um, and you put up that veil of, uh, of no emotion. Yeah. And uh, may- maybe he enjoys being a curmudgeon online. Maybe. I've got a, I've got a friend who's a bit like that. Are you talking um, about Spilly? No, not Spilly. Because um, Spilly is totally one of those people who is a uh, softy and wonderful human being in real life and is a total douchebag on social media on purpose. Okay. I wasn't thinking of Spilly. I was thinking <laughs> of my friend Tat. Okay. Um, and Tat's awesome and he's such a warm, like gentle character and heavily intellectual, super smart. Like I really love Tat, uh-huh. uh, but he's a complete curmudgeon online. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he's always moaning about things online and usually mm. it's the government. So, you know, go ahead. But, um, but it's weird how that happens to some people. So maybe Nassim's like a big teddy bear uh, or maybe he's going to be threatening um, our theoretical children on, uh, on Twitter mm, soon. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. But, uh, you know, um, he makes some good points about carbohydrates. Yes, carbohydrates are bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Things are bad. Uh, yeah. So the, the book that you were talking about earlier reminds me of – so the other really good book that I read about a similar topic is The Storytelling Animal by I – can't, I can't remember what his surname was. It was Gottschall, Gottschall um, which is similar. It's, it's you about, have an amazing memory, Sam, may I say. No, I, I just no. look these things up um, <laughs> on my external brain. Storytelling oh, oh wait, hang on. Let's let's check exactly what his surname is. Oh, um, two steps ahead of you, man. Jonathan oh, okay. Gottschall. You see, yes, you nailed that, that guy. shit. Woohoo! Nailed it. Um, You're so, so smart, Sam. No, man. I just read too much. Um, what I love about that <laughs> oh, is... Oh, I see. Oh, well, that's... <laughs> I'm not so smart. I just read an incredible amount of books. You won't believe how many books I read <laughs> oh, in a week. Oh, you know. You know. Um, anyway, but what he talks about, one of the things he talks about, he talks about um, how when they've done studies about what happens to you when you are engrossed in any kind of narrative, it's mm-hmm. interesting to see what parts of the brain light up because if you read a fact, um, the parts of your brain that light up are the language centers of the brain, so like Broca's area and Wernicke's area, and then this, you know, little bits of the frontal cortex, but not much of the brain. I don't Whereas, know how you remember this stuff. Sorry? I don't know how you remember this stuff. Okay, well, I know that because that was what my degree was in, so I should oh, remember it. Yes. <laughs> Linguistics, <laughs> woohoo. Um, mm-hmm. But then when you're reading a narrative um, and, and you're kind of very engrossed in the story and you get into that flow space where you're kind of in, imaginatively inhabiting what's going on, um, the parts of your brain that light up are the parts of the brain that you're, that you're reading about, that correlate to what you're reading about. So like, you know, Frodo climbed up the mountain. The mm-hmm. parts of your brain that control your motor responses are lighting up in your brain like mm-hmm. you are imagining climbing up the mountain which is mm-hmm. crazy which I is why that. you remember things so much better if someone tells you a story about them because yeah. it's and activating your brain you act like the um protagonist for a while after you finished a novel <laughs> Do you? have you seen that research no yeah they found out that the physical changes in your brain persist for a short while after you finish reading a novel no um, so I and, you, and people reading. actually, although it's it's not overt always, they in their own head sometimes are acting like the protagonist. Oh my god! Um, so I should really stop reading books by David Foster Wallace. <laughs> I'm well, just it made me want to read fiction huge... again because I hardly read any fiction. Um, yeah. But but that's the amazing thing about fiction is it 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 literally in a very real way puts some of your neurons, like you were saying, in that story, mm. and that persists for a while afterwards. Yeah, it's crazy, man. 
absolutely mm-hmm. crazy. Be careful what you read as well. Yeah, I I'm suppose. S- seriously evaluating this. Yeah, like if you, if you, if I wonder how it, how extreme it goes. You know, like if mm. you read stories about terrible sociopaths, you know, yeah. is it going to make so you cold and So this is reminding me of a video I watched this week that I really liked. So maybe we should talk about things we like. Yes, let's talk about things we like. Um, because I was watching uh, David Blaine had a, a, has, has a new TV show that came out at the end of last year, and oh, I'll admit wow. I'm a massive David Blaine fan. Yeah, he's um, cool. You know, because he's not just a sliding of hand trickster. He's he actually does things um, that have a physical component to them, like mm. freezing himself in ice, or being buried, or holding yeah. his breath for twenty minutes, or things that are just on the edge of possible, and he finds a way to do them. Um, so, do you think that those things are real, or that those are also, you know, kind of no? Illusions? Those are legitimate. You reckon? No, no, those are legitimate. Yeah, he uh, uh, like he's he's. From what I look, we don't know uh, for sure whether or not anything is is legitimate because you yeah. just at at some point you have to trust somebody. But if you watch the documentaries, um, for example, when uh, he was suspended in that box, I think it was above New York um, mm. for an insane amount of time, um, or where he froze himself and the preparation he had to go to and the team of medical experts he had to work with. Um, but and you also, see, if you were an illusionist and you were a clever illusionist, wouldn't you? Wouldn't that be part of the narrative that you construct? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I like to believe we live in a world where he wouldn't manage to dupe that many people. Ooh, you know, I don't know. But maybe he's just that smart. Um, but in, so anyway, um, the show's called Real or Magic. Uh, it's a TV special that was aired at the end of last year in the states. Cool. It's available free on YouTube, so we'll embed it in our, our show notes. Um, but basically what he does is he's, he does all of his tricks for Hollywood stars. Um, so he's got Harrison Ford. He's got uh, Woody Harrelson. Oh, he's I saw got the Ricky Gervais one that was Ricky going Gervais. Yeah. And uh, so he does his tricks for all of them. Um, but some of these – so the one trick he does, and again, there's no, there's no way for you to fake this unless it was completely made on CG, including his face. But um, there was this, this uh, a magician that – you know, was was around in the 30s or 40s, like when we when we just started having film. And he shows some of the footage of this magician, um, who was able to drink a hell of a lot of water, but like ridiculous in, uh, amounts of water enough to kill mm. you. Yeah. Um, and then drink kerosene that would float on top of the water. Then huh? what he would do is he would spout the kerosene back out. He would regurgitate the kerosene, but it would spout. I mean, like you know, strongly. Oh. And he would start a fire with a kerosene and then he would spout the water and extinguish the fire. And oh the trick God. killed him eventually because if you <laughs> inhale kerosene, you die, right? Um, and, and Blaine has been obsessed with this trick and nobody has been able to repeat it. Um, but then he saw this YouTube video a few years ago uh, of this kid in, um, I think it, it was somewhere in Africa. That doesn't mean anything. I want to <laughs> say Liberia, but it doesn't matter. Um, but but saw a video of this guy in his thirties who was able to drink a lot of water and then um, do the spouting trick with it. Um, well, and that and he's kerosene. you know he was doing that without the kerosene, yeah. but he was doing it for tourists. And somebody had put this on YouTube, you know, because hmm. he does it as a trick, uh, you know, a bit of a street art thing, whatever. Um, and and David Blaine literally spent thousands of dollars trying to find this guy and track him down. Yeah. Went to go and see him in his country and and lived with him to learn this trick. And the story is that um, this guy, as a kid, lived very far away from the nearest source of water um, and taught himself this way. It started with him trying to drink as much water as possible, hmm. but taught, like trained his stomach muscles so that he could actually keep this water in reserve in his stomach and then kind of spat it out again later. Oh my God, um, 
And uh, and so David Blaine learns this trick from him and elevates it to the point where he can do the kerosene trick as well. Um, but he shows the process of speaking oh. to the doctor, spending time with this guy in Africa, um, practicing over and over again, drinking this water and relaxing his stomach muscles and everything that you have to do. Mm. Um, so I buy it. You know, like you say, either he's 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 taking the illusionist thing like mm. to the nth degree. Um, but it's an amazing, it's an amazing special. And it just got me to thinking about, you know, the narrative David Blaine has to tell himself Mm. to get through these things, because if you are really going to be buried for, I don't know how long he was buried underground, the mental state that you need to be able to be in, like that's going to take a lot of doing, uh, psychologically, the stories that you're going to have to tell yourself to get through that are going to have to be amazing. Uh, and the discipline, you know, like I'm battling not to uh, eat carbohydrates. I'm okay with the heroin thing. Like I've got that down. Um, <laughs> Baby steps, Simon. Baby steps. Monthly salary is still a bit of a problem. Yeah. But um, but but I don't know why I'm telling you this. It was something I liked. So I'll no, 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 totally. It's it's. I mean, look, if that is true, that's that's freaking awesome. And I like David Blaine enough that I'll definitely check that down. Um, what things did I like this week? Actually, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about the Renema, which is a super practical thing that I found, which has nothing to do with anything that we've been talking about. So I've been fiddling around with my super fancy new home server NAS thing, um, and putting XBMC on it and just totally geeking out over categorizing all my media correctly and putting all the right metadata and all of that. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I found the Renema, which is a super nifty tool that lets you just drag um all of your your tv show or movie files on which of course you've you've bought legally and then downloaded obviously um of course and it just it renames them so that it takes off any of the of the the rubbish that might be in the in the file names so that a service like xbmc can can read it properly um and save all your metadata so super handy free free thing that i found that has been saving me lots of time that was nice. pretty What's cool. What's it called again? The Renamer. The, the Renamer. renamer. Names yeah. don't get much better than that. Yeah, totally. Uh, the other thing I did this week was read Sam Harris's Lying, uh, oh, which cool. he pitches as a book, but it's really just an essay. Okay. Um, What's that like? It's okay. Okay. It's interesting. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't feel like I learned anything. He basically makes the point um, that. There's basically no situation a human being can run into where lying is the optimal response, even white lies, even little fibs, um, oh, which is a difficult point to make. That's very cunt, um, but no, I don't buy that. Uh, I kind of do. I kind of, I kind of okay. think that Okay, what about the I classic Kantian thought, thought experiment? You are at home, a murderer walks into your house yeah, and he says, uses please that. tell me where your loved one is. Yeah, I mean, come on. Yes. So he says there's there's various responses to that that aren't a lie, but he admits that that's one of the hardest ones to get past, right? Yeah. So he says um, one of those confrontations is, yes, they are in the house, but you're going to have to get past me, right? <laughs> or no, but, um, yeah. so, so he – it's, you, I'm not going to pretend to to be Sam Harris and make his arguments. I think he does as good a job as one can of, okay. um, you know. But but basically, the the gist of it is there's ways to get around those situations that aren't lying, um, and that the truth will always lead to an optimal outcome. So, it's not the best book I've ever read. I certainly wouldn't pay for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I got it for free on Audible um, because I think they feel guilty charging for something that you can read in 45 minutes. Um, but, uh, but it was, it was, it got, look, if nothing else, it got me thinking about the whole scenario, which is perhaps useful. Yeah, that is a useful thing. I don't know if I agree (laughs) with that, but anyway, yeah, it does sound interesting. So that was fun. So that was probably the only part of this week where I haven't felt like a total retard. (laughs) 
Wait until you try and put that shit in reverse. Oh my god, I'm gonna have to go drive my car later. Ah, I'm so scared. Mm-hmm. I'm so scared of having to drive my car. So complex, Sam. I know I'm how you have cook. to remember how the toaster works. I'm gonna have to go buy food at some stage. There hasn't been food in my flat for like two months. Oh man, I'm, I'm failing. I'm failing at this this living thing, this routine thing. Mm. <laughs> it's hard, Sam. It's hard. Anyway, but you know, together we can get through or something. Okay. Um, so I'll speak to you next week. <laughs> Bye.